Hello, and welcome to a special Small Business Saturday edition of Who Runs That? Today, we'll be talking to Douglas Quint, co-founder of Big Gay Ice Cream. Doug Quint was a professional bassoonist who only got his start in ice cream when he spent a random summer driving a soft surf truck around New York City. He put a sign on its side that said Big Gay Ice Cream. It was sort of a lark, and then, to his own surprise, it turned into a hit. Now, Big Gay Ice Cream has retail locations, and its pints are in stores. Coming up, Doug Quint talks about inventing new flavors, defining his brand, and the catharsis he felt when he saw pints of Big Gay Ice Cream show up in a store in central Maine where he grew up. After the break, Douglas Quint, co-founder of Big Gay Ice Cream. Welcome to Who Runs That? Today, we will be talking about Big Gay Ice Cream, and with us is Douglas Quint, the co-founder of Big Gay Ice Cream. Uh, Doug, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Welcome to your show, too. I appreciate that. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. So tell our listeners, what is Big Gay Ice Cream? Oh, what is Big Gay Ice Cream? Um, Big Gay Ice Cream started as sort of a summer uh, project. And, you know, it was partially a midlife crisis thing where I'd never had a summer job and decided I would have one. And I had been a performing classical musician for all of my professional life. I played the bassoon. I went to Juilliard. And I played with whatever orchestra would hire me and did the same thing all summer. You know, tried to get summer festival music work or, or whatever. And in 2009, as I was finishing up the coursework from my doctorate, I decided that that summer I would do something that I, I would do anything as long as it didn't have anything to do with music. For the first time, I was going to take a summer off. And I started looking around for a, a, a curious job to do because I knew I didn't want to work you know, at Barnes and Noble or anything like that. I wanted something that would be an experience and something that would be a a New York City tale. I one day looked at Facebook and my friend Andrea, who was another fellow classical musician, had, she'd been driving ice cream trucks for a few years. And Andrea was always doing something odd in the summers. You know, she, she always liked to hustle cash. And she posted, you know, anyone who wants to drive an ice cream truck this summer, get at me, I have a lead for you. And she got me in with some guys who owned a bunch of retired Mr. Softy trucks and were willing to let me do something weird to it. Uh, so, you know, I decided you know, I would go out and it would basically be performance art and I would be the happiest <laughs> ice cream man ever to exist. And Brian, the other co-founder of Big Gay Ice Cream, had this idea that we would also try to revamp the menu a little bit because all ice cream trucks have served the same thing since basically the beginning of soft serve trucks. Every soft serve truck has the same menu. So we vanilla uh, chocolates and, and you can put some sprinkles on it, right? Yeah. It's vanilla chocolate sprinkles, dips and peanuts. And that's kind of that. And every truck, you know, might, it might have a different dip. They might have butterscotch dip, but that's about as far off the beaten path as you get, get with them. So between the two things, you know, we felt like we had a good concept and we had no idea what to call it. So I started a Facebook group and as a placeholder name, I named the Facebook group, the big gay ice cream truck. Uh And that we never intended for that to be the name of the truck or the business, but it stuck. And it was sort of in keeping with the whole spirit of let's just do something this summer and do it our way. And maybe it'll be a success or maybe it will be a giant disaster, but we will have done something that we'll never, ever forget. And that's exactly what we did. We, that first summer, especially, we really just went out there and did whatever the hell we pleased. Um, what did that mean? Oh, no. So that meant you painted big gay ice cream on the side of this truck and then and it, drove well, it around and. 
I got the lowest of the lowest uh, trucks on the totem pole. You know, uh, I was I was the the last call guy. So I got whatever truck no one could stand to take out that day. And they were beat to hell. I had a steering wheel that was held on with duct tape. I had a I had my gas tank actually drop off the truck one time when I was driving it. I had a starter burst into flames. I had one that I had to pour the open the catalytic converter and pour diesel into to get it running. So you know, I took those beat up trucks and I just, I put a sign on them, a, a poster essentially with our logo and our startup costs for this whole thing were, you know, I think, I think the first summer we never expected it to be big. We never expected to have to, you know, do trademarks and things that we immediately uh, had to, you know, account for once the thing became popular. So I think the first summer we ended up being down about $6,000, um, and to start up a business and only lose $6,000 and know that it was going to, it was really seemed to be on the track to propel you into some sort of notoriety. You know, it, we felt, wow, this whole summer has been a huge success. And I remember going on Twitter and saying, I'm going to leave it up to you people. Do you want me to keep tweeting during the winter about whatever's going on, and, you know, in my life, which is a lot of classical music stuff um, and you know, thing business relevant stuff, but I wouldn't, you know, obviously in the winter, I'm not going to tweet my location or the specials. Do you guys want me to continue? And they all said, yeah. And over that winter, you know, we went up another couple thousand followers and it became obvious that people wanted the whole thing to continue. And around, you know, January, when we saw, you know, the, the interest in big ice cream continuing to grow, we said, okay, well, I think this is a sign we got to do it another summer. And we decided, you know, this summer, let's try to do it better. You know, we, we had no business training whatsoever. And it didn't even occur to us that first summer that we could buy things in bulk or order them um, or, you know, get a tax, get our sales tax taken off for them. Nothing like that ever occurred to us. So that second summer, we decided to be better businessmen, which essentially meant we would go to the grocery store and say, can we have a case of Instead of just pulling all the jars off the shelf. So that's like 2010. In the intervening years, you've gone from food truck to like massive ice cream conglomerate here. Tell, tell listeners where the business is now. Well, we went from the one truck and then we were on the Rachel Ray show. And that made us, it made such a difference in our business that we decided to open our first shop, which was in 2011 in the East Village. Uh, 2013, we opened in the West Village, and we've also now have a store in Philly that's been open, I think, three years, and we just opened another store in the South Street Seaport in New York City. So that's four shops, more to come, and a couple of years ago, we started a line of pints, and it last year, we were in the New York City sort of metro area from Philly up to... Uh, Westchester. And it was it was really exciting to watch these pints come out and go to different demographics because they, they went beyond sort of boutique grocery stores where people might know to, know us to the real, you know, big box supermarkets. And it introduced us to a lot of people around New York City area who'd never heard of us. And then this year, they the pints did well enough that first year that we got picked up by um, a couple of supermarket chains. And now we're available from Maine down to North Carolina, I think it is. And so now people are coming in that have never, they have no experience. They've never heard of us. And they find us on Twitter or not really Twitter so much, but they find us especially on Facebook and say, I just saw this in my grocery store 
And the packaging was beautiful, and it seemed so strange that I had to pick it up. And, you know, you guys are making world-class ice cream. So we, you know, every year it seems we make another jump. And this has been a really gratifying one to take it beyond Big Gay Ice Cream's immediate reach and to start infiltrating uh, the rest of the country. That's where we are. So <laughs> good night. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not. We're not done with you, Doug. So, what? Are, what are your biggest costs and like the most difficult parts of running an ice cream company? What are the supply chains like? What is the battle for distribution like? Get a little into the nuts and bolts of the ice cream biz. Well, I think for us, one of the biggest problems is just that the nature of soft serve um, means employee training is much, much different than if you have a scoop shop. Uh, if you have a shop where people scoop ice cream, it's a matter of, you know, getting the ice cream frozen into tubs and on display. And then, you know, training someone to scoop ice cream and put it on a cone uh, isn't difficult. I mean, it's, it's hard to find employees that are going to be great representatives of your, of your company. That's across the board. So I'm not trying to say that, you know, running a, a Baskin Robbins franchise is easy because still you have to have wonderful people out there scooping and training a crew is is tough but with soft serve and with the way our cones are made every person has to be trained to make every cone um, instead of scooping you know from a big tub and putting it on a cone you have to know that you know the dorothy cone you have to put this much dulce de leche down in the cone you have to roll it in little wafers you know the cone has to be three times around in 4.25 ounces um there's a lot more training that has to go into uh, big ice cream employees than in a typical ice cream business. So you know, that's one of the big differences with our, you know, employee system and uh, the the payroll reflects that. We have payroll costs that a, a, a typical place wouldn't have just because of the training and uh, on-site production that goes into stuff. What about sourcing stuff, like sourcing the, all that Dulce de Leche or sourcing some of the unusual toppings you have? Is that a challenge? You know, it's become less of a challenge as I've learned more about um, being an ice cream man and running a business and finding what we want. Mm -hmm. as it com when it comes to Dulce de Leche, you know, that's, that's a matter of being on the hunt. We had it produced for us in a kitchen for a long time, and the quality of it really, we weren't into it. When you make dulce de leche, it can take four to six hours in a in a pot, uh, slowly stirring it to get it down from uh, just milk and cream and into dulce de leche. And it was really hard to find a place that would dedicate that much time to cooking it because it takes their equipment offline uh, and dedicated to us for so long that the cost really was was very hard to manage. So finally, we got in a good situation with that, but it took it took a solid six years before we could find someone who produced it for us with the proper care um, at a reasonable price point. So yeah, Jose de Leche, it's, it's, that's a good one to bring up because that's been a very, very hard road to negotiate, and we use a ton of it. It seems like you get a lot of attention for your recipes and some of your unusual menu items. And I'm curious, how how do you generate those ideas? Do you have any sort of hard and fast philosophies about what makes a good ice cream flavor? How do you go about generating these, these interesting combinations? Yeah, we definitely have sort of a manifesto between Brian and I. And 
when we started our first shop, we thought, oh, well, now we can do really, you know, experimental flavors and people are going to flock to try this stuff. And I made beet soft serve, which was so good. And if I had been served that in, you know, a, a, a fine restaurant, I would have dug right in and loved it. So here I made this beet soft serve, loved it. And I think we sold two cones. Mm -hmm. And it became, it became apparent pretty quickly that what people wanted from us um, – is actually what we wanted to give them. We we thought that going higher end on the the, the uh, items would really draw people in, but what people wanted was really just bold from us. You know, they didn't want Earl Grey; they wanted cherry Kool Aid, and <laughs> that's actually kind of more our style, personal style anyway. So when we discovered that, it was it was a bit liberating, that we didn't have to force ourselves into some sort of uh, frou-frou niche where we didn't belong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As for where the flavors come from, you know, the initial things that we could do on the truck were we could only do toppings because we couldn't screw with the ice cream recipes. The, the truck would go out with somebody else the next day and it couldn't really go out with, um, you know, curried coconut ice cream in it. <laughs> When, <laughs> when the kids at the ball field were expecting vanilla. So we were limited to putting stuff on ice cream and people, people still talk about our wacky toppings, which to me has always seemed kind of a bit ludicrous because I don't think anything we put on ice cream is wacky. You know, we put on crushed wasabi peas, but to me, wasabi and vanilla are perfect pairs and nothing seems wacky to us that we do. And that continues to this day. And did, did you have any, have you had, what was your most disastrous flavor experiment that just really did, did not work? I think one of the, the real disaster was we, before we even set foot on the truck, we were trying some different combinations and we really wanted to do something with bacon. And we, we didn't realize that bacon was such a, a buzz word or, or whatever, that people flocked to bacon so much. We just happened to like bacon. And we knew that we liked bacon and chocolate because it adds, it adds a saltiness to chocolate that, you know, chocolate, chocolate with a little bit of sea salt on it really, really blows away just that same chocolate without it. So we tried some experiments. We cooked some bacon and shredded it and put it on chocolate ice cream. And you would take a bite of it and the ice cream would melt. You'd be left with this chewy, dairy-soaked blob of, of bacon. And it, it was gag-worthy. Um, it was a huge disappointment. And it's funny because I've seen other ice cream places do it the way that we immediately ruled out and thought was disgusting. It seems like the name is a big part of the identity and that, that gets a lot of attention or instant reactions as well. When you were first naming it, did you predict the kind of reactions it would get? Was that part of your strategy? <laughs> Wait, strategy. Right. You have to look back at what I said. There was no strategy whatsoever. <laughs> and we expected that it would... Uh, there's a line on Strangers with Candy where Jerry Blank says something about... That's or someone says something I don't know, but it's a line that's going to backfire in your face like some hillbilly's rifle, and that's kind of what we expected Big A ice cream to do. So, did we expect the name to do something? I think we did, and it was also it was a conscious decision to never defend the name or explain the name, mm -hmm. and because you know the one of the missions of it, like I said, was that I was going to go out and be the happiest ice cream man in the history of, well, ice cream men. And that sort of led into the 
happy side of of gay you know mm-hmm. and so it, it, it's really all things and it's what it is to whatever people and for a lot of people you know it means that we're trying to um you know kidnap their children and convert them or whatever um which i don't even bother replying to when people write that on social media i always reply with okay <laughs> which <laughs> everyone else on the thread always loves um so did we expect the name to do anything? Yeah, we did. did. Did we know what it would do? No. And did we have a plan in place to tell people what we thought the name was? Well, our plan was actually to not tell people what we thought the name meant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the name, of course, gets us somewhere. It also keeps us from getting places. Um, but that's our name. That's the brand. Since 2009, you know, things have changed a lot in the way we society treat, treat the LGBT community. Have you noticed that change in, the, in, the, in your business? Has that, has that changed anything about the way you do business, the way your business is received? No. <laughs> it, I don't think it has at all. Uh, you know, no. I mean, a couple of years ago, probably four years ago, I got a tweet from the Westboro Baptist Church who, you know, I don't really think I need to explain them, but they're the they're a propaganda machine who hate everything. You know, they're the people behind the God God hates fag signs. So they I remember them tweeting at me and saying, Will you make a giant ice cream cake that says God hates fags or something like that? And I wrote back, Oh, I'd be happy to, and it will cost twenty five thousand dollars and I'll donate that to the ACLU. So please, you know, get in touch with us. And they didn't reply, sadly. So I think that we've always been very good at disarming and diffusing and not giving the critics really any weight. You know, if it, it, there's valuable criticism where you can look at it and look for something that will teach you a lesson or help guide your business, but there's criticism that is just hasn't really has nothing to do with you. And when we get hit with that stuff, it, it means very little to us. The people are missing the point. They don't know us. They haven't researched the brand. They're saying stuff that's completely off track. Um, It's not up to us to make you smart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what's on the horizon for Big Gay Ice Cream? Are there there any new flavors or business expansions? Do you want to make some news on this podcast, I guess is what I'm asking. Can we break some news? Hmm, Can you break some news? Well, you know, every every year has been an expansion in the territory for the pints. So I think this next season, we're really hoping to break the West Coast. And that's um, a big focus of ours. Um, we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to make that work. And, you know, it can happen, but we want it to happen properly, which means we don't just creep into one store and then try to move around. We, you know, we want to hit and hit big. So that's, you know, that's part of where we're going. And do I have any big real, you know, reveal on that? No, I don't. But that's where Big Gay Ice Cream is going next. It's, we're, we're taking it to the people. What's the challenge of breaking in on the West Coast? What kind of stores are you trying to get in? Are you, are you trying to open your own, you know, retail well, shop? Well, what are you both, trying to do both there? Of, both of those. You know, I think the, the, the immediate thing is to get the pints all over the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And part of that is also going to be a, a presence from us on the West Coast. And that probably does mean stores out there, yeah, um, to really do it properly. So, you know, those those are always on the burner somewhere. And sooner or later, that's going to happen too. Because we can't 
just be pints out there. You know, the, you can't go, you can't put ice cream pints in places where you don't also have scoop shops. You know, you, you that's why you see Ben and Jerry's and, and Haagen-Dazs all around the country. They're not making money from those scoop shops. They're making money from the publicity that the scoop shops help get the pints. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sort of a similar mo- model for us, although we obviously want our shops to make money too. What kind of retailers so, will you try to put the pints in? Is this big grocery stores, gourmet grocery stores, bodega, corner stores? Where are you trying to put the pints? Well, um, yes, all of that. But really, we've had a lot of success on the um, on the East Coast in chains. You know, Wawa has picked us up and... Um, I think they put us in something like 600 stores, uh, not the full line of pints, but you know, a good representation. And from what I know, we're doing pretty damn well at Wawa. We also got into Shaw's supermarkets up in New England and Star Markets. And you know, I'm from Maine, and that's my land. And I go up there, and the pints are moving off the shelves. So you know, the, I think the real objective, if you want to you know, get quantity out there and get money coming in is, is of course, to be in, you know, Albertsons and and Ralph's out there, you know, those sorts of places. But yeah, everywhere. Come on. In the gourmet places? Yes, of course. We're in bodegas in New York City. Of course, when when we uh, landed in the bodegas, you know, I went across the street to look in mine and there was nothing there. And I I had very little hope for it. And then one day it appeared and I just stared at it and stared at it and then i ran home and just started crying because it it, it's the ice cream had come to me (laughs) um you know it was always me taking the ice cream to people or us taking the ice cream to people and then suddenly it came to me and the same thing happened when it showed up in maine and and my sister in south portland posted a photo of herself in front of the cooler with the ice cream and i completely lost my shit i was walking down um Broadway at 207th on my way back from the vet and I saw this picture that she posted on Facebook and I stared at it and then I just went to a wall and melted down and I called my therapist (laughs) (laughs) and I told her and I sent her the picture and I said this is so hard for me because it's you know Central Maine is the place that I grew up but I had to leave and now the ice cream has gone up there without me. The ice cream went where I came from. And I told my shrink, I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how this, I can't make sense of this. And she said, well, I think you need to take a couple of days off, get in your car and drive up to Maine and go see your family and go see the ice cream in the supermarket down the street, because that's the only way it's going to ever feel real to you. It's going to be abstract and just on a weird emotional level, unless you go up there and see it. And I did, I went up there and, Sure enough, the goddamned ice cream was in the, the the freezer aisle at the at the grocery store 15 minutes away. And there's no way to explain that or explain how that feels. I left that area and made ice cream. And the ice cream went back to that place on its own. Uh, I We didn't try to specifically sell it to Central Maine. But there it is. I go home and it's waiting for me. It's kind of like the musician hearing their single on the on the car radio. You see your ice cream in these stores. You, you know that's exactly right. When you mentioned it, I Charlotte Caffey from the Go Go's was telling me about the first time um, 
she was driving and the first time she heard our lips are sealed on the radio and she didn't write our lips are sealed. Jane wrote it, but she said she heard it and just pulled over and cried. And you know, they, you listen to radio your whole life, you write a song and then that song comes back to you on the radio. And I, it must be exactly the same feeling. Cause I drove up to central Maine. Like I said, I left New York, uh, after lunch, I got up to Augusta, Maine and it was about nine 45 and the Shaw's closed at 10. So I said, okay, well, this is it. I'm going to go in. And I sat in the car for a couple of minutes. I went in, I walked over to the freezer aisle and I said, okay, take a deep breath and then let's go look for it. I took it. I took a deep breath and I looked up and it was in the corner uh, it was right there at the end of the aisle and I wasn't ready for it. There was no way I was going to be ready for it regardless, but there it was staring at me and I stared at it and I came out. I, then I started running and I ran out of the grocery store and <clears throat> I, you know, I started running once I saw it, I ran out of the grocery store and my dog was leaning out the window of the car looking at me and I got the sense that he, you know, this is a complete hallucination, but it was as if the dog was saying to me, so is it there? Can we go? What, is this for real? And I got in the car and it was one of the biggest sort of cathartic meltdowns of my life in recent history. I had a lot of those, but I pulled behind a dumpster and cried for about 15 minutes. It, it, it was the same. I, now that you bring that up, it, I imagine it was the same as Charlotte hearing the Go-Go's on the radio for the first time. <laughs> Weird analogy. Weird analogy. It seems like you're able to express your personality to a certain extent through this business. And I wonder if you could imagine yourself launching a, a totally different kind of business. You mean away from even food? Yeah, just something completely uh, different and you know, a different way to express yourself. You know, it, it, that does intrigue me because I now wonder if the things I've learned beyond just being an ice cream man and learned about industry uh, would transfer. I do know that I've learned to be a better boss, um, that's for sure. And that's really been a lot of trial and error. And I think I enjoy that. And I enjoy um, standing behind my brand. And I think that I, that would come anywhere. You know, it, it, if you don't stand behind something, you can't, you know, you have to know what you represent. You have to know what your business represents. You have to know what your brand represents. And when you know that and you stand behind it hundred percent, it becomes very easy to do all the other stuff, including being a boss, including talking to investors, uh, you know, uh, and always in my case, talking to customers. Um, and I think that would translate. I, I, yeah. I mean, if I became a, uh, you know, a candy bar salesman, um, I think that I could go into the mobile down the street and make them want to buy candy bars for me. It seems like getting the ice cream into that store in central Maine was this really cathartic moment for you. And I wonder if there are any other mountaintops that are out there that you think about that are left to climb that would be huge watershed moments for you if they happen. Um... <laughs> Walmart. Yeah, that's the one for getting into Walmart. <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, you can you can criticize Walmart for a billion reasons, but if it's in Walmart, it's something that everyone recognizes. And if it ever made that jump, I would be I I don't know how I would ever fathom that that it was everywhere. You know, it, and also the same with Target. 
but Walmart especially, I mean, good God, what, what would that be like for this thing that was started by two of us to be in Walmart? I mean, that I, I yeah, well, I, I can't imagine. And the same with, with Target, you know, which of course I'm a Target shopper. And if I walk by and see us in Target uh, freezers, I don't know how I'll be able to go in a Target again without having a meltdown hysterics and, and having to be escorted out or an ambulance called. You're, you're um, really going to so limit those the, two things. You're going to limit the places you can go in America if everywhere your ice cream is causes you to have a panic attack. It, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a quick break now, and then we'll be back with more from Douglas Quint, co-founder of Big Gay Ice Cream. Okay, we're going to pick up the pace and, and close up with, with our lightning round questions. Here we go. Are, th- are there any books or movies that inform how you run an organization or manage people? Contact by Carl Sagan. <laughs> Briefly, why? <laughs> um, because of the line, should have sent a poet. You know, that always, that's always inspiring. I, you want, you want your brand to, you want there to be no words for what you feel for it. Fascinating. Meetings. How do that's you run you meetings? How do you run meetings? Do you serve ice cream at your meetings? Do you ever have meetings inside an ice cream truck? Uh, we have, I've done interviews inside an ice cream truck meetings. Never. Um, our meetings rarely involve ice cream. They usually involve food. And when I run a meeting, I try to not talk the entire time, which is very difficult for me. What other companies in any field do you look at and envy? On social media, I look at the Chili's uh, people and I am complete awe of how Chili's handles itself online. It's, it's magical. And, you know, the, the food at Chili's is what it is, but um, the way they run their social media is completely inspiring to me. What mistake have you made in the past that you've learned the most from? Hmm. Beat ice cream. <laughs> trying to bring beet ice cream to big gay ice cream shop and learning that what our customers wanted was what we should really be doing anyhow, which is big, bold, fun flavors that make you think of, um, you know, when you're nine, those beets really haunt you. Okay. If I told you tomorrow that you are fired and you can never do anything in the realm of ice cream or even remotely related to ice cream, what would you do with your life? Open a bowling alley. (laughs) Okay. Finally, this is it. Will you do your ice cream truck patter circa 2009? If I walked up to the big A ice cream truck in the streets of New York, what would you say? What would you have sounded like? Um, welcome to big gay ice cream. What do you want? <laughs> you said you were no, the actually, happiest ice cream here, man in the my, history here, of ice no, cream here, men. Here, here, here's what I used to do to people when they walked up this. I did this to a few strangers. Um, at first I would say, stop looking at the menu. You're, you're making this way too hard for yourself. Now come over here. And they would stand in front of the ice cream truck window and I would put two fingers on either of their shoulders and push them down. And I would say, take a deep breath, drop your shoulders, and now look at the menu. And that always, I think, was a big part of our successes. You know, you're in the store now. Divorce yourself from whatever's going on. I also told people to get off the phone and not talk to people while they enjoyed their ice cream cone. So those were always my things to the ice cream truck. I was always trying to get people to um, relax, let everything go, whatever stress is. For the duration of time it takes to eat that ice cream cone, you know, put all the shit in the closet and just just enjoy ice cream. So this show is coming out on Small Business Saturday. As the co-founder of a small business, do you have any particular advice for someone else who wants to try to start their own small business? 
Yeah. Um, have a mission and talk about what you want to do. You know, Brian and I discovered in the middle of the summer when the thing hit, we said, you know what, we really need to decide what big gay ice cream is and what we're going for. And we talked about it and we spent a whole weekend talking about um, ice cream parlors that we went to and friendlies and tasty freeze and what kind of experience we wanted to bring to people and what kind of food we wanted to bring to people. And the fact that we spent that time talking about it out loud and not just thinking these things was a really, really big um guiding force for us. So I think you need to be able to say what you're after. Once you say things, they start becoming real. When you think them, they get stuck in your head and you don't necessarily act. If you tell someone, by the end of the summer, I'm going to learn how to you know, do, do my square roots up to, to 2000, and you tell a bunch of people that, and you tell them why you want to do it, because I want to you know, work on my math skills, whatever, then you're more inclined to do it than if you just you know, decide it one day while you're sitting on the toilet. And that even comes to, if you don't have someone to say it to, talk to the mirror and convince yourself that your idea is good and why your idea has, uh, you know, a personal twist to it and why this is something that your gut wants you to do with your life and makes you want to shut everything else off. What is it? And say it out loud. Even if you're just talking to yourself, say it. Douglas Quint, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Slate. That's our show for today. Who Runs That is produced by Cameron Drews and Cleo Levin. The senior producer for Slate Podcasts is TJ Raphael. The editorial director for Slate Podcasts is Gabriel Roth. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening.